What is up, everybody? Welcome to Roll for Persuasion. I'm your host, Andrew Richardson. So excited to have you guys with me for another awesome episode. We have a very cool guest I'm very excited to talk to, and we will get to her in just a moment. We're going to see if we can do all of the pre-show business nice and quick today. So, as always, you can follow the show at Roll Persuasion on Twitter and on Instagram. Love to interact with you there. Email the show, andrew at rollforpersuasion.com. Leave us a review on iTunes, podchaser.com, whatever your platform of choice is. Shout out to Jackie, who just the other day left a very kind review for me on Apple Podcasts. Jackie, I will Venmo you later. Thank you so much for that. And of course, we have some awesome sponsors. We actually have a new sponsor today and returning sponsor. If you are a fan of tabletop gaming, you know that we here at the show love Eldritch Foundry. They make awesome custom miniatures. So you can go to eldritch-foundry.com, use the show code ROLLPERSUASION, and save 10% on your order. Make yourself a fantastic custom mini. They just released Orcs and Half-Orcs, which I'm very excited for because my character right now is a Half-Orc monk, so I'm in the process of getting my own mini sent to me. Also, new supporter for the show, and you know him if you've listened to some of our early episodes, Talon and Claw make some fantastic handmade wooden D&D accessories. They make DM screens. They make dice vaults. Um, just really, really cool stuff. Beautiful wood. I actually just ordered one from them. It is a Wenge and Paddock dice vault. It looks pretty sweet. So if you go to their website, talonandclaw.etsy.com, you can also use the code ROLLPERSUASION to save 10% off your order there. And of course, when you order using our codes on these sites, it does support the show. So thank you so much. Finally, you can support our Patreon, patreon.com slash rollforpersuasion, where you get previews of upcoming guests. You can submit questions for our guests. Uh, if you've been a backer for a few months, I'll send you some free dice. We have fun interac- interaction. It's a cool place. So if you want to support the show, that is a great place as well. Like I said, I'm very excited to introduce uh, my guest today. Um, if you are familiar with the D&D community at all, if you're a Critical Role fan, if you are on Twitter or enjoy cosplay or just awesome, cool, creative stuff, you know her work, I am sure. Uh, Jenny, what is up? Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you. Thank you for uh, following up and joining us on the show. So I'm assuming most people know all the things you're into, but it's a lot, right? I mean, we're talking cosplay, we're talking videos, we're talking singing, uh, we're talking art. Like, What all do you do right now? Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot to summarize. There's a reason why I usually just sort of refer to myself vaguely as a creator because there's a lot under that umbrella. Um, I do cosplay. I do music, as you mentioned. Um, I have gotten pretty into YouTube lately. I mean, I've been doing YouTube for a long time, but it's only started working recently, so putting more energy into that. Um, and yeah, I have just in the last year, gotten really into D&D via Critical Role, and um, it has been awesome. I'm putting so much more D&D stuff in my content lately. I hope that I hope that the people who were here before that are, like, interested, because I've, I've gone full D&D. Well, just based purely on the interaction I, I see you get on social media and from your fans, I, I think people are really loving what you're doing. And, and you really are. You're in, you're in so much more. I think a lot of people know you for your cosplay, right? That's actually how I first... Um, saw you, I think, on Reddit years ago. Uh, your Arya Stark cosplay popped up in, oh, yes. I don't know, the Free People subreddit or something, and everybody, we were all losing our shit because you nailed it. My first viral success. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, so what was what was that like? I mean, what period of time did that happen, actually? I mean, was it, was it like five years ago? How long ago was it? 
Yeah, good question. I think I, I think my first time wearing an Arya Stark costume was probably in like 2012, maybe like pretty early. Yeah, wow. Because I used to be in a YouTube group called Not Literally. God, when did Game of Thrones start? It was like 2011, right? That it started. Yeah, um, yeah I was like in a YouTube group called Not like Literally, that. and we did parody music videos, and we did a Game of Thrones video, and I played Arya as well as my other Game of Thrones doppelgangers. Call Drogo and King Robert. <laughs> uh, that was a weird video. But um, when I put on all the Arya stuff and did up my eyebrows, people had been telling me from watching the show that they thought I looked like her. And I was sort of skeptical because at the time she was like, you know, nine or whatever the actress, sure, yeah. Daisy Williams. But, um, but when I did up my eyebrows and I looked at the footage, I was like, oh, I kind of see what people are saying. Right. Yeah. Um, and then in the years after that, I started putting together um, my own Arya costume. I didn't make the one that I wore in the Not Literally video. And I made sort of a crappy version of her costume and that went viral, which made me feel really guilty because there are so many people out there who work so hard on their costumes. And I had made this like mediocre Arya mess. And then just because of my face, I was getting a lot of attention for it. So out of guilt, I remade that costume from scratch to be entirely screen accurate and then <laughs> wore that for many more years after that. Yeah. And, and so, you know, kind of talking about that, um, leap of time right from the beginning so for instance uh because i i did the the ultimate odd thing and scrolled all the way back through your instagram like if, <laughs> if you could have gone back and told yourself oh how many years ago was this almost seven years ago uh posting a picture of your cat getting 25 likes to like today right like posting uh, i think it was your keyleth cosplay that you put up um just today seven eight thousand nine thousand likes what what has the past you know, six, seven years been like for you just going from doing something you love essentially for yourself, I assume, to now really having a global audience for all this cool content you're creating. Honestly, it is really hard to wrap my brain around, um, especially just because, you know, it happens sort of slowly over time. It's like that boiling a frog thing where you have a new normal every day that starts to feel normal to you. And every once in a while, I do have to have this moment where I step back and I am just sort of stunned by what's happening and what I get to do and how crazy this is, because it's easy just day to day to be like, ah, oh, yes, time to wake up and go to work and make YouTube videos and, <laughs> you know, like crazy stuff that, yeah. that, yeah, that, that many years ago would have seemed absolutely unbelievable to me that that's my day job and you get used to it when it is but but I do try to remind myself how wild it is because I am I do feel really lucky to be doing what I'm doing and so occasionally things happen that just sort of blow my mind all over again even though even though I think rationally it, it makes sense as part of the arc of like how things have been going like last mm -hmm. week Joss Whedon bought my calendar I saw my that yeah calendar. I like saw the order on my website and I was like, is this a prank? But no. <laughs> Do I have Joss Whedon's address now? Is that how this works? Like what happened? I don't. I looked it up. It's a P.O. box. <laughs> smart, not, smart not on his part. Creepy. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I don't know. It it has been strange. It has really been, it has been an arc. Um, well, the first half of an arc, hopefully it won't be the other half that goes down. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it definitely has been sort of a slow and gradual growth. And I think that's what makes it so hard to to think about in a larger sense, because it's like one day I had 25 likes and the next day I had, you know, 27 likes. And it's just like <laughs> one day at a time until yeah, suddenly yeah. I'm looking at a I'm looking at a post that has 3000 likes and being like, wow, that underperformed, which is just <laughs> a weird mind space to be sure. in, you know? Yeah. And so, so when you got into to cosplay, when did you first get into cosplay? What kind of 
attracted it to you um, creatively or attracted you to it, pardon, creatively? And, and what kind of sparked that interest for you initially? So I learned to sew pretty young because my mom sews. Um, so I was sewing like doll clothes and um, costumes, like Halloween costume type stuff pretty young. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really get I wasn't aware that there was a costuming community of people who made costumes just for fun, for a hobby. Um, I, I only knew about like Halloween and then like people who made costumes for theater, I guess. And I was just starting college and I worked at my local Renaissance festival as a singer. Actually, I got involved, um, through music and a lot of Renaissance festival people are also cosplayers and convention attendees. There's a lot of geek crossover between those two worlds. And so my friends at the Renaissance festival took me to my first convention, which was a local science fiction and fantasy convention called Starfest. Um, local to Denver where I live. And I went there and I saw all of these people just wearing costumes from movies and TV shows just because they were excited about them and they loved them. And it was such a big community of just people who were excited to to yeah. celebrate their favorite movies and TV shows and comics and games. And that really appealed to me. Like the <clears> minute that I understood what cosplay was, I wanted to be involved in it. And so the following year at Starfest, I actually debuted my first handmade costume, which was, um, codex from Felicia Day's web series, the guild. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like, that was it. I was hooked. <laughs> and and it's just been, you know, a, a climb ever since then. Yeah. Um, well, there have been some dips. I got to tell you, sometimes <laughs> I look back on that codex cosplay and I'm like, how did I do that good the first time? And then that bad the second time. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of been interesting. I've, I've had a, a much smaller scale, similar experience, um, starting this show, uh, cause my show's only been around for four months at this point and oh, like wow. yeah and, and like i didn't for me, realize that it was that new <laughs> i know i know and that's what people say i'm like is that a good thing is that a bad thing i don't know but uh it's good it's good yeah, it comes off very you know practice that's that's the goal but it was kind of one of those i started this and i was like okay i'm gonna have two really big goals first goal is to someday you know be invited by wizards to be involved at like D, &D live or something right big super goal other goal is going to be to interview Brian Foster because he's like a, a big kind of hero of mine. And then like three weeks later, I'm interviewing Brian Foster. I'm like, what happened? How did I get that right <laughs> off the first try? So um, it is kind of a mind blowing thing to kind of have that little bit of success and be like, oh, how did that work? And then looking back, how did that happen? Um, so it's super yeah, cool. Sometimes you just luck out, I guess. Yeah. Sometimes the stars align. For sure. For sure. So how has your how's your cosplay kind of transitioned um, over the years, you know, from from initial ones to what you do now, is it merely you have more time and resources to work on them, or or, or do you have what, what's your intention when you approach doing it now versus maybe when you first started? Yeah, that's a great question. I think when I first started, um, my goal was just there were certain costumes that were from things that I liked, and also I happened to like the look of the costume, and so I would make them because I wanted to wear the pretty thing basically sure, was sort yeah. of the extent of the decision-making process. Like that's pretty, I want to have that on my body. And, uh, and then over time, I think it shifted a little bit early on to what I thought other people would like to see. Once I started trying to really market my cosplay and build an audience around it, it did become more important to me to do things that I thought other people would be excited about because occasionally early on I would do a costume that I cared about, but that was kind of niche um, like I think my second cosplay ever was Thumbelina from the Don Bluth movie, which <laughs> is like a very near and dear movie to my heart. Right. But also as far as like 80s and 90s cartoon movies go, not a very popular one. And I think that when I wore it, I was recognized by like three people maybe who were like, oh, Thumbelina. 
And I remember feeling sort of disappointed at that and being like, wow, I need to pay more attention to what other people want too, because even though it is about what I want, it's also like a huge element of cosplay is the community that you're engaging with. And if there aren't people in the community who are excited about what you're making, it's like, I might as well just wear it at home, you know, (laughs) instead of to a convention, the whole point is to connect with other people. So Uh, I sort of made that shift towards like paying attention to what other people wanted more for a while. And of course you have to learn the checks and balances there. You have to overcorrect and then realize, oh, wait, I have to still love it too. I can't just do things that I think other people will like. Um, that's been a process. But then also I think, um, aside from just growing as a crafter, which has really, really widened my horizons in terms of what I feel capable of making, um, and also how difficult the making process is. I think one of the biggest changes I've seen recently in like the last year, year and some change is that I have gone less away from, I've gone more away from making as many costumes as I can and trying to make a high volume of costumes. And I've moved more towards making costumes that sort of, that interconnect well with the other kinds of content that I'm making and that I can get a lot of mileage out of basically. Um, Jester was a huge learning experience with that because I made my Jester costume assuming that I would do the same thing I do with most costumes, which is make it, wear it a handful of times, move on to the next one. Instead, I spent a solid year improving and building on that costume, making videos with that costume, doing a zillion different photo shoots and just like really, really digging deep into that character. And I have loved it. Like it has been such a more fulfilling and engaged experience than just wearing a costume once and then putting it in my closet. And it's made me want to think more about what characters and what costumes I can have that kind of connection with instead of just, just like a one and done thing. And I wore Arya a lot. Like to be fair, I wore the crap out of Arya. I did a lot of videos with Arya. Um, Arya was like highly requested. Uh, and I did connect with Arya as a character, but I still don't feel the same way about Arya that I do about Jester. Like that has just been such a character to embody in a way that Arya was much more difficult to embody. Like Arya is just sort of a, she's like a quiet, deadly, traumatized girl. (laughs) Whereas Jester is just like so much personality and so much fun. And so what's that, what's that convergence like? Cause as you're talking about, you're talking very much in a way that, um, actors talk about roles that they put on. And, And I think a lot of people might tend to think of cosplay, um, really more from the like putting on a costume, taking pictures, taking the costume off. But it sounds like from what you're saying, there, there's very much more an embodiment of the character. Um, is, is that something that you kind of feel with most of the characters that you do or did it just really come more so with Jester? Or is it just in general kind of part of how you approach the characters you play? It's definitely becoming a bigger thing for me now. Uh, for ver- For many, many years, most of the characters that I was cosplaying, it was make the costume, put it on, do a photo shoot. And even though I certainly am, you know, I, I pick characters that I like. <laughs> so obviously I, I engage with the character a little. I, I try to like, you know, channel their personality in the photos and in the videos that I do. Um, so it's not like this is the first time that I've ever been like, oh, I understand the character's motivations. But Something about just the level of engagement you can have with a character like Jester that's so well-developed and so fully fleshed out, um, which is just partly partly just because of Critical Role being such an in-depth media. Um, but I don't know. There There is something that's really unique about it, and it has made me want to look more for characters that I don't just think the costume is pretty or like the character, but 
I, I genuinely feel like a connection to that and want to want to take on their character, not just like to pose for a photo, but Jester's one of the only characters that I actually like perform in character as her at a con. Um, like if I go to a con and I'm wearing Jester, it's not nonstop, but it's really easy for me to just slip into the accent and just like do fun things yeah. as Jester. That's, that's something that's really special for me and not something I had really experienced much before in cosplay. And so speaking about Jester, I mean, that was, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of part of your explosion, if you will, kind of onto the, the D&D oh, like critical role scene. You'd, you'd not played D&D prior to critical role, is that correct? So how did you, how did you kind of get introduced to critical role and, and what was kind of the evolution of deciding to make that character and, and do Jester? Yeah, so um, my experiences with D&D before Critical Role were extremely limited. I had played like for an hour and a half with some work friends one evening at their house and it was not good. Like none of us really had fun. None of us really got it. Um, and then I had also some Renaissance Festival people had like tried to pull me into a game once and that that also didn't really go well. The character creation process was like so confusing to me and everything was just like everything was really rushed. And so after those experiences, I was like, OK, I guess I'm just not a and d person. And I sort of put it out of my mind um, and I didn't really know anyone who played or at least not anybody who talked to me about playing. So it it was easy to just sort of forget that D&D was a thing. And then a friend of mine, um, Rin, who is actually they live in Norway and I got the chance to visit them in Norway. Uh, gosh, it must have been like two years ago now. Um, and they recommended it to me and were telling me all about the show. And I was just sort of like, uh-huh, yeah, sounds <laughs> cool. But in my brain, I was like, that is not my thing. Like I'm when somebody is telling you that. about their latest like Netflix binge, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. Exactly. Right? Exactly. They're like, yeah, they're four hour episodes every week. <laughs> you listen to people sit at a table and play D and D. And I was like, cool. So I put it off. Uh, like I didn't pick it up for a long time. I wasn't planning on picking it up at all, to be totally honest. And then um, I had been listening to a lot of podcasts while sewing. And when I discovered there was a podcast version of Critical Role, I needed more content. And I was like, well, I might as well try it. You know, a lot of times when I sit down to sew, I'm sewing for like five to eight hours oh, in wow. a chunk because that's what ADHD hyperfocus does for you. That, that's and, how I listen um, to Critical Role was while painting my house for like five to eight hour stretches. Yes, perfect. So that's what ADHD you need is right labor. there with you. Yeah. <laughs> so I put it on um, campaign one actually, and I listened through a few episodes of campaign one and it was like ups and downs. I, I didn't fall in love with it immediately, mm -hmm. which I'm sure, you know, anybody who's listened to the beginning of campaign one knows that like it can be a little hit or miss. Sure. Yeah. Some audio issues don't love Tiberius. <laughs> so there's like, we've all you know, been there. Yeah. There's, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but I was interested in it enough that I was like, hmm, maybe I should check out campaign two because it seems like that's what people are watching right now. And maybe I'll be more interested if there's sort of an active fandom around it. And literally within the first like 20 minutes of campaign two, I was absolutely obsessed. And the reason why I picked Jester to cosplay is that, I mean, I, I have historically, had a huge like hate hate relationship with body paint. There has never been a time in my cosplay career before this where I was like, "Ooh, I can't wait to paint myself a color." <laughs> I had tried it and just absolutely hated it. Yeah. And and found it really difficult. And so, I started listening to Campaign 2, immediately fell in love with Jester. Like from the first from the whole I used Thaumaturgy 32 open all the windows. Like from that whole first scene, I was like, <laughs> "I'm obsessed with her. Who is she? I love yeah. her." Yeah. I just have to be her. And so I did my first makeup test for her and I was like, 
oh, this isn't quite as bad as I thought it would be. And now I do body paint like at least once a month for her. It's, it's, it's been a big change. <laughs> and so what, uh, when did you kind of initially get on the radar of the cast and of Critical Role fans? You know, um, because everybody, I think, in the CR community more or less kind of knows who you are now because of that, that jester role. So when did that uh, connection kind of happen? So I started off, um, I just had like work in progress pictures and, and pictures from Dragon Con where I debuted the costume and my own followers were like pretty, pretty strongly positive about it. I was really surprised by how many of my followers were already critters. I just didn't know because I wasn't in the fandom, mm. but I had so many people being like, oh my God, I'm so excited that you're into critical role now. Um, and that was sort of weird for me too, because I don't usually get a lot of engagement on like work in progress type stuff. Um, people are just like not that into my craftsmanship process generally. Uh, I, it's different for some cosplayers, but for me, my fans have never been like, yes, show us those seams. So it was surprising to me that people were into that. Um, and then one of the first things I did, I, I liked her accent. I thought it was cute. And I like to do, I, I, it's not like I consider myself a voice actor or anything, but I like to do sort of goofy voices just at home and for fun. Mm -hmm. And so I, practiced her accent a little bit because I thought maybe I could tackle it. And once I had a good handle on it, I made a little video. I was in costume for for something else. Oh, for the outro message for my for my Ruby of the Sea song, I guess. It seems like those things are in a weird order now that I think about it. But I was in costume as Jester and I filmed a little video that was just me speaking lines from the show that I had heard her say so far. Um, and just in the accent to camera in costume. And I put it together as sort of like a jester in real life. Yeah. Yeah. Here I think I remember the video when it came out. Yeah. And it's not something that I honestly would have assumed would succeed because most of my videos, it's it's like people want more than just for me to be in a costume and existing on screen. They want like <laughs> some sort of entertainment. But I guess the I guess like the accent itself is just enough for people to be like, whoa, you sound like Laura Bailey. And so that video actually it, I'm not sure if it still is, but for a really long time, it was the most popular post of all time on the critical role subreddit, even topping Ronan's birth announcement, which made me feel <laughs> awful. Just FYI. Or and awesome. I mean, it, out, it could go either way, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, when that video came out, that was when the cast first, like saw that I existed because, um, Laura Bailey quote tweeted it and said that it was a great gesture. And then Matt ended up mentioning my video on Tox Machina. It was like a night or two after that. So then the official uh, Critical Role channel retweeted the video to be like, hey, this is what we talked about on Tox Machina. Um, and that was really crazy. And then from then on, it was like everything that I did that was gesture related just just like succeeded. <laughs> it's yeah. like I had drawn in enough people up front that were like, yay, gesture, that every gesture thing I did, people were like, yes more jester and it just sort of exploded right. exponentially so then you've gone to you've gone to cons as jester um you've got involved uh with wormwood recently right you're doing some collaborations with them i saw you did a video with them recently right yeah i did a christmas music video with them i love wormwood like i mean they're a great company and i love their products but also they're just such cool people every interaction that i have had with them like at first they just reached out to me because they wanted to send me a dice vault, which was just like the sweetest, kindest gesture. But that was right before I was supposed to go to Emerald City Comic Con. And then there was like a terrible snowstorm in Denver and my flight got canceled and all of the remaining flights out were extremely expensive. And so I sort of 
sadly told the internet, like, oh, I guess I can't make it to ECCC. And that was where, is that the right number of Cs? C, C, C? Three Cs. <laughs> and I was so sad because that was like, that was when I planned on meeting Laura Bailey. And a lot of people on the internet were very invested in me meeting Laura Bailey. So I had people like offering to buy my plane ticket. And I was so uncomfortable with that because that seemed like, it seemed weird to me to like accept charity sure, to send me yeah. to a con for fun. Yeah. But actually Wormwood reached out to me then and said, well, what if instead of like a charity thing, we flew you out and you like were our guest and did meet and greets at our booth and then it could be like a mutually beneficial agreement. And I really wanted to go to the con. So I was like, <laughs> okay, that yeah. sounds good. And so ever since then, um, we've done a few different things together. I, we, I went to ECC, EC. Emerald City with them. Right. <laughs> um, and then they also brought me to Gen Con, which was amazing. It was my first time at Gen Con, and it is an incredible convention. It was so good. And then we had been talking about doing some kind of collaboration because they do such great videos on their YouTube channel. And um, I do like I do like mediocre music videos that are usually <laughs> me filming myself on a tripod in my living room. So they're like, what if we filmed for you? So it was not that. <laughs> And it was great. We, yeah. we made a Christmas music video together that was about um, it was about wanting D&D stuff for Christmas, which is hashtag relatable for sure. And it did yeah. really, really well. And I hope that they would I hope they want to keep working with me because I love working with them. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, the, the music video was super fun. And yeah, they, they seem like a totally cool company. And and I don't think many companies would have that kind of, you know, thought process to go, Hey, let's think outside of the box. Let's find this cool person in the community and make them part of what we're doing. You know, I think a lot of companies would, would sit there and, you know, crunch numbers and be like, well, let's find influencers who blah, blah, blah. But, but they were like, Hey, you fit, we fit, let's go do it. And it's worked out. It's been a really cool um, partnership just from someone watching online. Right. So, so that's very cool. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I always prefer the kind of partnerships that happen organically that are just because you're each a fan of each other's stuff. It just seems like the best way to do things because then you know that you're both excited about what you're doing and, and happy with each other's contributions and stuff. I always prefer that to the very clinical, like, ah, oh, you have X number of followers, therefore. Generate this many clicks. We will pay you this much money. Hello. Exactly. Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, you know, we spent half an hour talking about cosplay and we could spend another hour talking about it, but you do, you do so much more. Um, I think you tweeted today that you had like a five hour, like recording session today, uh, for music. Is that right? Can, can you talk about yes. that at all? Yeah. So I actually have basically already announced this song because I was grumpy about people calling it overdone already. So the cat's already out of the bag, but I've been working on from the minute that I heard toss a coin to your witcher like every other musician, I wanted to do a cover of it <laughs> yeah. from the Netflix Witcher show. Um, and I actually planned on recording it the Thursday, the week of, of New Year's. So like immediately after the New Year. But then I got the flu. So I've been oh, postponing no, no. that recording session for weeks now. And today I finally got to get like into studio and record. And honestly, I'm glad that I waited a little longer because it gave me and Blake, who does all of my instrumental music, some time to really sort of marinate on what we want to do with that song and um, come up with like a really strong concept instead of just trying to be the first ones to do it. Yeah. And I'm really, really happy with what we've come up with. It's sort of like a if Evanescence covered Toss a Coin to Your Witcher kind of vibe. <laughs> oh, my goodness. High school Andrew is so here for this right now. I know. Like, High school like, Jenny like, bring is it too. on. Yeah. <laughs> 
You should. It's I weird. Mean, I was listening to Evanescence in the car on the way to the studio session yeah. today. I was like, gotta get into the mood. And part of me was like, what if I don't think it's good anymore? Because I like loved Evanescence right, in high school. Right. And then I was in the car like, go. Definitely rocking out. I, I was I was arguing with someone the other day who did not want to have this conversation, but I feel like Amy Lee might be one of the most underrated like vocalists of I don't know the past twenty years or something. Just because she's because so of good. the evanescent stigma. But she's so good. And I, you know, I also listened to a little bit of Nightwish because in the car today, yeah. because I was like, that's the same vibe. And I was like not that impressed, yeah. especially in comparison to Amy Lee. I was like, this is weird. I feel like I could have been the lead singer of Nightwish if like this is the bar, <laughs> which is maybe something Nightwish fans would be unhappy a- with Amy if Lee, they still exist. Amy Lee, for one song, made Seether an enjoyable band. And so I, I think for that alone, she deserves a tip of her hat. Well, well so cool. So so you're doing that song. Do you have like a, a release date kind of planned for when that's going to come out? Or is it kind of TBD? Well, my hope, I mean, I hope that I don't, I hope this doesn't have to change. But right now, the plan is January 29th. So... Hopefully I can stick with that. I'm recording um, first chunk of video on Thursday, which means I have to complete my entire Yaskier costume tomorrow. No pressure. Yeah, we'll see if that works out. Man, well, that's cool. I think this episode will be coming out a few days before that, so it'll kind of be a good uh, a oh, good great. lead in. Yeah, I- so look out for that, guys, in a couple of days. Um, keep an eye on Jenny's social media for that to drop. So you're doing music, you're doing videos. You did you did the really funny uh, Jester's Mom video, which again throwing it back, you know, to to high school, junior high music vibes. <laughs> um, so so what it's what is it like kind of coming up with those concepts? Do people approach you like, hey, let's do a collaboration? Like the other cosplayers you worked with, I don't remember their names right now. I'm sure you do. Jesse and Laura yes. of Jessa Loris Rex. They're wonderful. Yes. They are a married couple. They are also some of my best friends in the whole world. You should absolutely follow them. They're amazing. And, and the video you guys made was amazing too. So how, how do things like that come about? Is it kind of uh, creatively, you come up with it and approach people? Do people approach you? Is it just kind of a case-by-case basis? How does that go? The vast majority of my parodies, I write myself and pretty much execute solo. Um, even when I include other like performers in them, it's usually an, uh, sort of an end-of-the-road thing. Like, oh, yes, I have everything all lined up, and now yeah. I will bring you in, and you will do the specific thing that I tell you to do. Um, Jester's Mom is a little bit of a unique one because um Laura the 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 wife of that cosplayer duo um the one who played the ruby in the video mm-hmm. she is a very close friend and also an absolute master of puns and so she came up with a lot of the sort of like key lines that made Jester's mom a good yeah. idea and when she delivered me those few lines like hey what if we did this one bit here it really convinced me like okay yeah this is more than just some parodies, you come up with the idea and you're like, yeah, the chorus is funny, but like, is it a good full song? Like, does right, it need to be a whole right. song? And that's sort of where I was at with that at first is I was like, okay, yeah, Marisha makes the joke in the episode. I think Brian makes the joke in Tux Machina. Um, like everybody associates it with the song uh, when they meet when they meet the Ruby of the Sea. But I was like, does it need to be a whole song? And then Laura gave me a few lines and I was like, yes, it does. <laughs> so that one was actually a unique one in that Laura helped me write those lyrics and wrote a, a fair chunk of those lyrics. Usually I'm very resistant to other people writing lyrics or giving me parody sure, ideas yeah. because people tend to think that the idea or even the words is the hard part. And that's absolutely not true. I have, I mean, I have like, if, 
if I could just like snap my fingers and make a parody video, I would have a dozen parody videos ready to go right now, right. just based on the ideas and lyrics that I have written. But it's actually the production process of doing the music and recording the singing and putting together the video and the editing. That's really the hard part. So people tend to be like, hey, I'll give you this idea. You're welcome. And usually it's just that like they want to see that video made and they're right. hoping I'll just do it for them for free. So. <laughs> oh, man. So cosplay, videos, music, um, conventions, traveling the world. I mean, you've done international cons now, right? Um, so, I so, have, yeah. So when you go to a con like that, like, is that the, the convention these days bringing you out? Is that you just saying, hey, I'm going to go do this cool thing and I'll be there in cost? Like, like, what is that? How does that go? Because I have been to a grand total of one nerdy convention in my life and I was working at it. So I didn't even get to experience it. So that's a totally new scene for me. So, so what's that like when you go out and do that? Well, when I am a guest um, these days, it's because a convention approached me and invited me and also like covered my expenses and stuff because sure, these yeah. days I don't travel on my own dime to work for somebody else. That's which that's is awesome. A lot Congratulations. Yeah, it's no, it's amazing. Um, when I first started doing convention <clears throat> guesting, it was like me begging local conventions to like let me have yeah. a table. And so it's been really cool to to get to a point where I'm like in demand enough that the conventions want to go out of their way to bring me to them. It's really cool. Um, and I, and I love doing it. I love getting to actually like meet the people who support me in person, getting to meet people and hearing them say like, Oh, I follow you on Instagram or like, I'm a patron. It's just so cool. It's just like crazy to be face to face with somebody who makes your work possible, who literally makes your work possible. Um, but yeah, I also have a handful of cons every year that I do for fun and it's become more and more important now that I work so many cons for me to draw a hard dividing line between the cons I do for fun and the ones I do for work. So Dragon Con, for instance, I do every year because it is an absolute blast. And I have to go out of my way to be like, no, I'm not going to do interviews at Dragon Con. I'm not going to do like you know, meet and greets or whatever, yeah, yeah, because sure. not that dragon con is asking me, but just that sometimes <laughs> people are like, Oh, you're going to be a dragon con. Great. We can do this business thing. Yeah. And I have to draw a really hard line and say, no, I'm paying out the nose to come to this con <laughs> and just have fun and not work and just like do my, my normal thing. My, the same thing I was doing in 2011 when I went to a con. <laughs> well, that's good to be able to kind of keep the divide right. And, and keep, um, kind of like you referenced earlier, be able to still have what you're doing be something that you enjoy and that you're passionate about while also letting it pay the bills and kind of, you know, be your living. So so I'm sure keeping that balance is is tricky at times. Oh, yeah. Boundaries are the hardest part, I think, about being self-employed. <laughs> Sorry, I'm taking off my cardigan because it's super hot in here. Um, that's the that was the button sounds. Uh, yeah, I think boundaries are are definitely the most challenging part because um, when you love what you're doing so much. Like I'm so passionate about what I'm doing. I would do it all the time if I could, which is a really yeah. unhealthy work schedule. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so you have to remind yourself like, no, slow down, stop. You don't want to burn yourself out. You need to take some breaks. <laughs> and that includes like doing conventions that I just hang out with my friends and just like walk around the convention floor and go to panels and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, speaking of taking breaks, check out this segue. We're going to take a really quick break right now so that I can tell you guys about one of our returning sponsors and one of my favorite companies in the world, Smugglers Coffee. If you are a coffee drinker, uh, you have heard me talk about them every episode because they are fantastic and they're big supporters of the show. If you love delicious coffee, these are the coffee beans for you. They barrel age a bunch of their coffee, so they're soaking up uh, all that whiskey or bourbon goodness 
and then putting that in your coffee, and it's amazing. Plus, they're super nerd-themed. All of their labels and names are all uh, D&D art, uh, sponsored from the community, pulled from different community members. So you should definitely check them out. Go to store.smugglerscoffee.com to get some beans in your coffee machine today. Uh, Jenny, do you drink coffee? Are you a coffee drinker? Oh boy, do I drink coffee. Uh, have, have you ever Have you ever had smugglers? I haven't, but I'm like literally taking notes while you're talking. I, I will literally have some bags sent to you because uh, I'm, <gasps> I'm not joking. So I interviewed the, the founder of the company um, as one of my first episodes and i was like all right i'll go check this out like the same night i ordered coffee i now have like five bags in my like in my little coffee note because it's just that good um so well, we'll, we'll get never you say up. no to coffee right right it is it is fantastic but guys definitely go check them out um they're big supporters of the community as well so follow them on twitter but again store.smugglerscoffee.com and their sport today brings us a, a question from one of our patreon backers for jenny Brady, um, shout out to you. You are always awesome. Brady has been one of our first Patreon supporters. She's huge supporting us on Twitter and on social media and just love chatting with her. She's a great person. But she has two questions for Jenny, so I will toss them to you right now. The first one is, out of all the cosplays you have done, is there a particular one that you are the happiest to have done or that's brought you the most joy? And then do you just have any fun stories related to that specific cosplay? Well, I feel like it's going to surprise nobody if I say Jester right now, <laughs> but I, but I really do feel like that's been one of the most impactful costumes for me, just in terms of teaching me about, about what I like in cosplay and also just about all the experiences that I've been able to have because of her. I would say that one of my favorite things that happens as Jester is that sometimes people will come see me at a con, they'll see me as Jester and they'll tell me that they have a friend or family member who wanted to come to the con but couldn't make it and they'll have me like record a little video for them as Jester. That is like my absolute favorite thing to do because I get to record these little videos where I'm like, hi, thank you so much for um wanting to talk to me. I'm really sorry you couldn't make it. You probably have like other real important things to do but there's probably nothing more important than talking to me. So you clearly made a mistake. And I just get to sort of ramble yeah. as Jester for a while, which is a lot of fun. I also had, um, I had a great experience just recently as Jester where I was in costume for a photo shoot and a family, um, just like a normal people family that was like not related to cosplay things came by and all the little kids love to stare at Jester because she is a, like, she's a sight. She's right. a ridiculous looking costume between the horns and the tail and the floofy outfit and the blue skin, obviously. And I overheard this dad say to his daughter that this is what happens if you eat too many blueberries, which <laughs> cracked me up. Oh, so I good. love hearing what like little kids have to say and what questions they have when they see me as Jester. That's so much fun. Um, that's awesome. That's so cool. And, and you recently, I think I saw it on uh, Instagram. Did you get, was it like a, a robotic or like mechanized tail or something that moved by itself? How weird and trippy is that? To like oh my gosh, it wear was a crazy. robot tail. When they contacted me, I was just like, my mind was blown. I was like, we're living in the future where you can literally get a robot tail that will just automated move on its own. It's, it's absolutely wild. And the thing is so cool. Like just the actual mechanics of the thing are incredible. Like the fact that it's tracking the motion of your hips, that's like sensing the motion that's of your insane. body and responding to it. God, feels like science fiction. 100% living in the future for sure. Yes. Um, so Brady's second question, uh, also really good and kind of wanted to tie into something I wanted to talk to you about because you are, um, I admire you 
so much because you were very vocal and outspoken on Twitter and social media um, about standing up to just kind of some of the shitty people that exist in the world, right? Um, and and I would imagine I am very loud and angry. <laughs> it, it's good, and you know, as a white dude, I don't ever see any of this because I am incredibly privileged and don't have to deal with the stuff that women and you know LGBTQ and and non-binary people on social media deal with. So one tip of the hat to you. But um, Brady's question, I'll kind of let that lead into this, is what sort of advice do you have for women and non-binary people in navigating social media outlets as they become more visible? Oh, man. All right. I, I think I have like two main, I mean, I could talk about this for like an hour. I should like, I want to like give a seminar, just be like, keep yourself Welcome safe to your TED and talk. healthy. But yeah, there's, I, I would say like two main things that I always recommend to people. One is you can never be too careful about your personal information and you can never start being careful about it too early. Um, it, it, you don't have to be famous for people to use that information against you, especially if you like cross the wrong person or end up in the wrong conversation. Um, these days it's like you tweet at the wrong person and suddenly you could be on a list and getting like harassed by hundreds and hundreds of people in like a targeted manner. It's, it's, you never know when that stuff is going to happen to you. And, um, that means in my opinion, avoid using your real name if possible. That ship has sailed for me, but that's something that people should think about. Um, if you ever need to put like an address anywhere, like please get a PO box. I know that it's a little expensive, but like it's not more expensive than your safety. Um, get a Google voice number, like do everything you can to guard your personal information because once it's out there on the internet, you never know how long that information is going to be out there and who's going to have it. If even one person has that information, you have lost control of it and you can never regain it. So not to be super scary, but just be really, really, really careful about that from day one. And then the other thing is, and this is a much more general and sort of a mental health focused thing, but I am a strong proponent of block and mute and keyword mute. Yeah. I am a strong proponent of curating your spaces. I think of every social media platform that I have as being like my house, like, okay, here I am on Twitter. This is my house on Twitter. You get to decide who's allowed into your house yeah, and yeah. you can decide to kick somebody out of your house, whether they're lighting stuff on fire or like just saying rude things to your mom. Like it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be so extreme in order for it to be justified for you to decide that you don't want to give this person access to you. You don't owe anyone your time. Um, you don't owe anyone your conversation or your debate or space in your brain or in your in your heart. <laughs> I, I really think that one of the smartest things that we can do in a space that is so volatile towards us is just recognize when to say, Nope, I'm not going to let you take up any more of my time or any more of my emotional energy. And that can like, obviously there are people who will hate that. And there are people who do, you know, think that I'm weak or, or in some way, I don't know, failing for blocking people, but those people don't matter. <laughs> Yeah, and and that's kind of the, the the awful kind of gaslighting thing that happens, right? Is is people will start to say, oh, well, if you're blocking or or whatever, you know, you're doing that because you're weak or you can't handle it or we have every right to talk. And 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 I love what you're saying about no, that space is your space. You get to own not just what you put out into the world, but what you receive. And and that should yeah. be an empowering, strong thing to take control of your space and not let other people shame what you're doing with it or tell you how you should be protecting it. Yeah, I think the the root of it is just you don't owe anybody anything and there will be people especially for women and non-binary people, anybody anybody who is not a not a male, not like benefiting from the male privilege that that yeah. like comes with just sort of everyone expecting that your opinion is like 
worthwhile and valuable, you will be told over and over and over that you owe people things. And people will imply it or they'll straight up say it to your face that you owe people whatever, uh, an, an answer, a response, your ear, um, debate, an explanation. And I think the most important thing to remember is just like, you don't know anybody's shit. <laughs> this is like, you, you get to choose how to use your social media. You get to choose who to answer. If you want to not respond to somebody for literally any reason, even if it's just like, I don't know, this guy just gives me weird vibes. You're allowed to just, you're allowed to be like weird vibes. Okay. I'm not going to interact with you anymore. Yeah. It's a really hard pill to swallow, I think, especially because we are often taught to accommodate everyone around us before we accommodate ourselves. I think mm-hmm. we're like trained to take up as little space as possible and to to make everybody else's lives easier. So I, it's like a hard reminder, but it's something that I try to remind myself of all the time. That's awesome. And and you should make a shirt that says you don't owe anybody shit and sell it on your shop because because it would you sell don't yeah except for 1350 for this t-shirt to me <laughs> um dovetailing kind of off that a little bit um how, how do you personally manage that because you you do you do a very very cool kind of vintage pinup style calendar i think you've done it for a, a couple of years now is that right three, three years yeah. um and so again just because I'm, I'm a dude so i don't have the right perspective on any of this so I'm asking you, um, how do you maintain ownership and agency and you know joy over your own body and how you want to represent that and share it with the world and still just I, I can't imagine like the the messages and, and stuff that you have to deal with doing that. So so really, I think the question is more: What has that experience been like for you choosing to share um, your content that way? Yeah, that's. Honestly, I I have it easier than a lot of cosplayers do because um, I think there's a big chunk of the cosplay community that does much more risque stuff than what I'm doing and and thus has to deal even more than me with this attitude or this idea that you're inviting sort of like bad behavior from from followers. Um, And but I've definitely seen it to some degree in relation to my pinups, for sure, in relation to a lot of different cosplays. I mean, people will see anything as as being designed for sexual gratification if that's what they want to see. But, but the pinups especially are like the purpose of a pinup is to be sexy. And, um, especially when you're looking at the actual vintage pinups that like artists like Gil Elvgren, who I base a lot of my work on, were creating, that's a man painting pictures for male consumption. So the pinup girls in those images, they're not real. They don't have any agency. They haven't like decided to, to look like that or to pose like that. Um, and for that reason, a lot of feminists are troubled by pinups and the pinup style and pinup art. Um, and it is very much representative of a time when, when women were like often viewed as having the purpose of like being beautiful for male consumption. And for me taking on that art style, which I find to be just like really aesthetically fun, despite its difficult roots, um, for me, taking on that art style is a different thing than a painting because I am the person making the image. I am the one making the decisions about how I am portrayed, about how I pose and and how I'm viewed um, to some degree, obviously, as much as you can be. Uh, in general, I feel like the difference between empowerment and objectification is where the power lies. And in vintage pinup images that are painted by men for men, there are, there are like three total vintage pinup artists who are women, and they're all really cool. But, uh, but in, in an instance like that, it, it definitely skews more towards objectification because the power lies in the hands of the men that are consuming women for their own gratification. Whereas in my own pinup images, 
um, I see that as being empowering because the power lies in my hands about what I'm doing and how I'm presenting myself. However, it's the internet. So there are always going to be people who view it in whatever way they want to view it, especially uh, in ways that are derogatory or that, uh, that are objectifying. And so I even have had people basically be like, how dare you expect men to treat you with respect when you make pinup style images? Um, so yeah, there's, there's always how, sort how of dare that you obstacle. expect to be treated like a human being, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. That is, honestly, like, yeah. I, I wish that that were not a, a mindset that I've encountered so much. Um, but yeah, I think that, uh, for me, it's been, it's been a little challenging with the pinups because most of my work is not like very sexy in a conventional sense. Um, so it has definitely been a different landscape to enter. Uh, but my own follower base has always been so respectful and like, so just like thoughtful and viewing me as a human being. And so I've just done what I've always done. And when people do not treat me like a human being and do not treat me with respect, I kick them out. And the pinups have meant that I have had to kick out perhaps more people than I did previously. But I am, I've set a clear boundary and I'm going to maintain it regardless of the kind of work that I'm creating. There are some people who don't mind getting comments that are like, wow, this is really sexy. Uh, my wife would be mad if she saw I was looking at these pictures. <laughs> Some people don't mind getting comments like sure, that. Sure, yeah. Uh, I do not enjoy getting those kind of comments. So that's the line I've drawn. <laughs> and and like you were saying, it's good to know for whoever you are what your line is and then holding to it, right? You know, for some people, their line might be, you know, way further back than yours and some it might be much further ahead but whatever your line might be the importance of knowing it knowing yourself and then maintaining it and you know in 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 an integrity integritous i think is a word my wife made up uh way <laughs> that is like true to you um is key to the whole thing right yeah i think i would really encourage everybody to verbalize their boundaries even if just to themselves because i think it can be very easy for those boundaries to creep uh up or down depending on the experiences that you're having, um, especially when you feel sort of pressure to be like, well, uh, would I be making a big fuss if I got upset about this comment? So for me, I, I think it's really important to be like, yeah, I, I am going to draw a line when I think that people are like speaking to me in a way that I wouldn't be comfortable with, like my mom reading or my fiance reading. Like if I think that that my, the fiance Josh would be unhappy to like read this comment and would feel upset on my behalf, then I want to be like, yeah, I'd be upset about that too. I'm going to be upset about that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have so much cool stuff going on. Um, what what is kind of what's on the horizon for for 2020? Are you going to ECCCCCCCC this year? <laughs> um, I have no current plans to. I have actually now that I've added Gen Con to my list of like cons that I have to go to, and yeah. I also would really like to add Pax Unplugged. So I've had to cut down ECC. See, was was one of my for cup for fun cons last year, and I mainly picked it because Critical Role was going to be there. Mm. So, um, and I don't think they're planning on being there this year, to my knowledge. Um, and also, I've had the opportunity now to meet them a few times, so I no longer have to structure my convention schedule around like getting a photo right, with Laura right. Bailey. So yeah, no Emerald City for me this year, um, but Gen Con and Dragon Con and hopefully Pax Unplugged, those are going to be my for funsies con this year. Very exciting. Gen Con is on my list. Uh, we'll pro I will probably be going to that. I'm going to ECCC 
for a couple of days because they were like, hey, have a press pass. I was like, yeah, sure, oh, I, cool. I will do that. So it's a great con. Yeah, I mean, if I could heard. just go to Infinite for fun cons, I would absolutely go back. Very cool. Very cool. Maybe maybe we'll run into each other at a convention. Um, anything else that you want to share that you want people to, to uh, know about? Where can they follow you? Check your stuff out. All that fun stuff. Oh, man. Well, um, I'm most active on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Jenny D. Um, that's D D I like, like, I don't even know what it's like. What's like, it like? Like diamond. Minus the just not, not just the letter. Yeah. <laughs> I need to like come up with a catchy way to describe that. <laughs> um, and then on YouTube, you can just search Jenny D in the search thing and you'll find me. I have a very old YouTube URL. That's youtube.com slash Ginny is a princess. So <laughs> not so much in line with my current branding, although not too far not off. Terrible. To yeah. be honest. Um, and yeah, I have, um, upcoming, I am, obviously I'm working on toss a coin to your witcher, which will hopefully be out before the end of January. Um, and then I also have a few other songs that I already have recorded that I'm hoping to release in the first few months of the year. Um, I'm working on some variation jester costumes. So if you're a jester fan, there's always going to be more jester. Uh, and also I just, this will be out by the time the podcast comes out, but um, I just hit 100,000 YouTube subscribers, what? which is exciting. So I did a video to celebrate it that's coming out tomorrow, actually. that's It's called Vicious Mockery, 100 D&D-themed insults. Excellent. So that one's a lot of fun. And and speaking of D&D, and I totally forgot because we were, we were getting into all the cool stuff that you're doing and, and social media and all that. Real quick, you, you do play D&D now, right? You are, I, I think I've seen you say that you, you play and you DM, right? I Can do. you like... Real quick, like, like, what's that like? What's your game like? What do you love about D&D Go? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Right. <laughs> um. Well, the game that I play in, I've been playing in for almost exactly a year now. I started off playing, it's a homebrew thing, and I started off playing a, like a homebrew robot monk, and then I got tired of her after a while because I picked I picked her for the wrong reasons. Uh, and so I have recently switched to um, an elf warlock named Ashling. I have a video all about her on my channel. I love her a lot. She's like all of my teenage elf, beautiful elf fantasies. She has like long green hair with like leaves growing out of it and stuff. It's great. And then in the campaign that I DM, um, I just, I started it just a few months ago and uh, it has been a real challenge. I went into it being like, I'm ready to DM. I know all <laughs> about D&D. &D. And then it has been so much Surprise. harder than I anticipated. <laughs> yeah, but it's going really well. And um it's also fun to get to see the game from both sides of the screen, yeah, you know, for because sure. there's different challenges in each thing, but also different joys in being both a player and a DM. And and if you could pick your you know, one thing that you love or enjoy about the game, what do you what do you think it would be off the top of your head? I mean, for me, I think it definitely all boils down to like the collaborative storytelling element. I've for always sure, been yeah. really into role play. I used to do like text based role play on pro boards forums and stuff in, Hell in yeah. high school yeah. and before that i role played on neopets in middle school <laughs> so i've just always really loved be getting to getting to write and, and i used to i used to want to be a novelist i've done a lot of writing in my life too and so being able to tell stories and to work with other people to tell stories that's like the real main draw for me i mean i enjoy combat because like who doesn't but mm -hmm. we can have whole sessions where we don't have any combat and i'm perfectly happy <laughs> hundred percent. That is, that is what I tell most people I love about D and D is telling stories, um, with your best friends. I mean, there's, yeah. there's not much that's better than that. And so, uh, I don't think there's much of a better way to end an episode than the, uh, the joy of telling stories. So, 
thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Let's do it again sometime. Yeah, I'd love that. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. For sure, for sure. So guys, make sure you check out Jenny on all of her social media. Keep an eye on all the cool things that she is doing. There is a lot of it. She does so much awesome stuff. So make sure you check out her cool content. Um, Let's all make sure that we love each other and that we're nice to each other and that we respect boundaries and people's spaces. As always, I'm Andrew Richardson. This has been Roll for Persuasion. You can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Roll Persuasion. You can support the Patreon, patreon.com slash Roll for Persuasion. Make sure you support our awesome sponsors because they are great and they keep the show going. And until next time, guys, enjoy your games. Enjoy your games.